Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Welcome to Saturdays in the Gulf on SEN Track. Another week broadcasting from the wonderful Wollongong Golf Club in the Illawarra, coming to you through 1575 Illawarra Track, 1170 in Sydney for the first hour, and then on the SEN app. A beautiful day, the sun is shining, temperatures in the mid 20s, the top expected in the Illawarra today. In Sydney, a bit warmer, high 20s, maybe above 30 out west. It is a picture perfect spring day. Matt Russell from Fox Sports, alongside the Illawarra Mercury's very own sports editor, Tim Barrow. Tim, there is plenty of sport to give us all some solace from the world's big problems this weekend, bigger issues around the globe. But what are you looking forward to most this wonderful weekend, my friend? Good morning to you. Yes, Matt Russell. Well, yes or no, whichever way you're going today. Good morning. Uh, Happy Everest Day to everyone. I'm absolutely pumped for... The biggest day in racing, well, you know, they still claim the Melbourne Cup as the biggest day, but PVL's railroaded everything in <laughs> racing these days, hasn't he? Yeah, it'll be a ripping race there today at Royal Randwick. Plenty to talk about with um, the Pacific Championships rolling around to complete a rugby league season as yeah, well. I'm looking forward to seeing Tamika Upton, the uh, Newcastle Knights fullback, back-to-back female Dally M recipient, back-to-back Karen Murphy medalist as player of the grand final. She finally makes her Jillaroo's debut yeah. this evening. You'll see those games on Fox League this evening. The women into the men, Kangaroo Samoa. So we'll talk about the rugby league throughout this program. Also, just gone full-time in the football, Australia v England. England 1-0 over the Socceroos. Jordan Warren standing by. We'll go to Jordan very shortly. You've mentioned Everest Day at Randwick. I'm looking forward to Baz's best. You always deliver on the tipping front, Tim Barrow. We've got Mitch Jennings talking about a huge announcement from Alex Volkanovsky this week. And we'll preview the fight. Tim Zhu against Brian Mendoza tomorrow on the Gold Coast. Get to mainevent.com.au. You can watch Tim Zhu continue on his winning way, according to Mitch Jennings. He is bullish about Zhu and Volkanovski. Our man Toby Dawson is here, even though Eddie Jones won't be for much longer. <laughs> I'm looking forward to seeing what Toby's got to say about Eddie and the Wallabies, who aren't in the World Cup anymore, but four quarterfinals to preview. And Fox Sports' Justin Edwards is going to take us through a horrible start to the Cricket World Cup for the Aussies. Oh, wow. How bad have we been? That's on par with the Wallabies. Anyway, Justin's a straight shooter. He's a great operator, and uh, he's going to tell us what the cricketers can do to salvage some hope in the next few days. We've got basketball, netball. Pete, the perfect panel puncher from Putney, has a rolled gold random fact I'm today, excited. I'm wait, every wait week I get this one. Yep. Last week was all about NASCARs and bootlegs, so he's, <laughs> he's gone to the next level. Plus we've got bang the gong, so let's go. We're here thanks to the Wollongong Golf Club. Jump on the train or in the car if you're listening in Sydney and come down and play around down here. We're here also thanks to Avcon, specialising in industrial and response projects. Find Ryan Burke and his wonderful team at 
avconprojects.com.au impact garage doors they've been impacting homes for more than 20 years if you drive past a nice house chances are there's an impact garage door looking at you out the front and your wonderful organization tim burrow the illawarra mercury but first our initial topic is sparked by this goal this morning take a listen madison on the right foot whips it in only as far as harry Sutar. Good ball back in from Alexander-Arnold. And there is the opening goal. Ollie Watkins in the right place at the right time. Trent Alexander-Arnold with the ball that picked out Grealish in the box. His shot across the face of goal. Finding Watkins, who, like any good striker, was following in to give England the lead. Yeah, the only goal in the international friendly played at Wembley this morning. Matt Russell alongside Tim Barrow. Tim, have a listen to the name of the goal scorer in full. Oliver George Arthur Watkins. Has there ever been a more English name <laughs> score a goal for England? Oliver George Arthur Watkins. Ollie Watkins to his friend. And here's one of our friends on the show. Jordan Warren, good morning to you. What did you make of this game this morning and the performance especially by the Socceroos? Yeah, morning, boys. Happy Everest Day. Yeah, it must be said that it was a sensational performance from the Socceroos, a 1-0 result. Obviously, you don't want to lose the game. You could see Graham Arnold, the Socceroos coach, at the end of the game give a, give a little shake of the head before he shook hands with England manager Gareth Southgate. But it was a sensational performance and there was a number of chances for the Socceroos to actually win the game. When it was nil all, uh, Ryan Strain went one-on-one -on -one with the goalkeeper and it was cleared off the line. Uh, and Connor Metcalf hit the post from a set-piece in the uh, second half. And it was a bit of a shame, the goal that actually went in from Ollie Watkins, considering that the Socceroos had defended so well. And it was a goal that came from a bit of a, a second-phase play off, off the free kick and, and a bit of lacklustre marking in the box. And, of course, uh, Man City's Jack Grealish with the assist, which uh, Tim Barrow would be quite happy about, I'm sure. But... Uh, no, it was overall a sensational performance from the Socceroos and, and it must be said a, a good run-in for the New Zealand game in a few days, uh, which of course is going to be for the, uh, the old uh, New Australia New Zealand, the new Australia New Zealand Ashes Cup, they're calling it. Uh, and then before that, the Socceroos of course have the Asian Cup on the horizon. So it was a sensational performance all around. Yeah, I thought they did quite a good job on uh, Super Jackie Grealish. Uh, they frustrated him a fair bit. I know there were a lot of fouls, which you expect from a fairly physical Australian team. But you're certainly right. They match motors with the English. I know we're sort of early in that uh, World Cup cycle into the, the Euros for England and, and um, you know heading towards an Asian Cup with Australia. But, I mean, Australia, as you said, they had their chances. I mean, Mitch Duke lashed at one there in the first half, which only just went wide. Uh, Martin Boyle had his opportunity there when he turned inside and could have gone himself and then sort of played it off for Strain who just probably didn't get enough on it and they managed to, to clear it off the line but gee there were a lot of good signs from Australia weren't there? Yeah there was plenty of good signs Baz, um, a lot of chances created, I forgot about that Duke one, that was a sensational chance in the first half and he did extremely well to get his foot around it and I only missed the, the post by a whisker but I think the problem that ever since I've been watching the Socceroos is, is the, the lack of act, an actual clinical goal scorer of course England have plenty, today it was Ollie Watkins, a typical striker's finish, but it's always been Australia's problem, that uh, that striker or that finishing product that we've always sort of lacked. Of course, we've got the greats like Mark Viduka, but even he wasn't a, a renowned goal scorer all those years ago. He, he'd hold the ball up and, and play it off for his teammates. And even more recently, Tim Cahill was a midfielder and he was transformed into a forward. So... 
just finding that number nine is probably the next or the most important thing for the Socceroos and Graham Arnold. He is trying to, to try and find that number nine. Of course, Mitch Duke has been the, the preferred selection. Of course, he's probably just a workhorse in, is his best attribute, not traditionally a goal scorer. But he, he tried Mohamed Toure today. Of course, Brandon Barillo has been in some good form. There's been a number of, of um, testing of players that have been tested. And of course, uh, Craig Goodwin. Uh, played well today. It must be said on the, on the left wing, he created a lot. I think he was Australia's probably best player in the in the attacking sense. But yeah, it was a it was a great effort, but just lacking those goals. So it's a it's a a, a slight problem that uh, Graham Arnold will need to to fix before the Asian Cup early next year. And Kai Rowles with the Illawarra connection, bleeding for his country there. He copped a knock to the head in the first half, had to go out and get the bandages on, and he was still uh, still <laughs> leaking the old claret down the side of the face as he continued to play. But what I loved about Australia, I don't think... I know we've had the golden generation and they're a fantastic group of players for you know at least two going into three World Cups, but I, I don't think I've ever seen more belief in an Australian squad. squad. We saw Ange Postacoglu in camp this week, uh, obviously now at Tottenham, and taking them to the top of the English Premier League ladder. Um, Gus Hiddink was there. And just to have that group there and then the way they played, the way they were managing to uh, release and go through the transition, they, they really worried England. So it just seems to me like the belief's at an all-time high. Yeah, 100% agree. I've never watched a Socceroos team, and it's probably stem, stemmed from the recent World Cup in Qatar. I've never watched a Socceroos team that really believed that they can actually beat the best teams in the world. Like, obviously, recently we saw the two-all draw against Mexico. Mexico are, are ranked highly. And, of course, England are, are world number four, Australia being world number 27. But, yeah, ne- not since the golden generation have I seen an Australian team just with that hunger and belief. And, and even, like I said earlier, the, the fact that Graham Arnold seemed really disappointed that, that they didn't get anything out of today's game, it just, it just shows an absolute... It, it just shows how much that, that it means to, to him and also the, the Socceroos squad. And I think in a weird way, it probably... That belief probably stems from Ange Postacoglu. Of course, he was the man that led Australia to an Asian Cup in 2015 and then, of course, left before we qualified for the... Well, we qualified for the 2018 World Cup and left before the World Cup. And, of course, he's gone on to, to uh, bigger and better things with Celtic and now... He's top of the table in the EPL with, with Tottenham. But he was the... I re- remember when he was Socceroos coach, he was that one that installed that real belief and just not, not arrogance, but it is kind of an, a sense of an arrogance that you can take it to any team in the world. And, and we're seeing it now in Graham Arnold's team. And Graham Arnold's the exact same. He believes that, that Australia can beat anyone. And we saw that in the World Cup when, when we took it to eventual world champions, Argentina, in, in the round of 16. And, and of course, Argentina... Uh, the Argentinian coach said after that World Cup that, that Australia were the hardest team they played on their way to the, to the trophy. So, yeah, I, I agree with you, Baz. I, I'm watching the Socceroos thinking, wow, this is um, something that I've never seen before in my lifetime. Well, we believe we can win the next game, Tim. We believe we can smash them in the next game. New Zealand, Jordan, what's a pass score against the Kiwis next week? <laughs> I think New Zealand will, will put up a pretty good fight. I think, obviously, we'll be favourites in that one. We played New Zealand in a friendly before the World Cup last year and, and we only won it just, it was of course in New Zealand, but yeah, look, look, we're, we'll be expected to win. Um, New Zealand will definitely, New Zealand are definitely a, a quality outfit, but I think that we'll, that we'll uh, come over the top of them. Obviously, England are a much better opposition, it must be said, but uh, New Zealand will definitely be up for that rivalry, similar to how we were up for it today in the old, in the Ashes rivalry, Australia v England, and even you know, in the 85th minute when it was 1-0, you could see the Aussie fans were, were really getting into it and, and the players as well. They really didn't want to lose to the old the old foes. But, uh, yeah, it'll be the same for New Zealand when they play us on uh, Wednesday morning, uh, Wednesday morning our time.
You're listening to Saturdays in the Gong. We're speaking with our football man, Jordan Warren, Matt Russell alongside Tim Barrow. Tim, when it comes to the Premier League, your Manchester City, uh, well, above them on the ladder, mm. Tottenham under Ange Postacoglu into the international break, Jordan, top of the league. What a start it has been for Ange. I know the Women's A-League starts this weekend, the Men's A-League next week, but all, all the talk football-wise, uh, aside from the Socceroos, is about this remarkable start by Ange Postacoglu to his Premier League coaching days yeah and I think that every Aussie fan as the Aussie football fan and Aussie sporting fan really needs to drink it in because I think that this is something that we might not ever see again hopefully we do see it again there's obviously a number of sensational Aussie coaches coming through the ranks in the in the A-League and also overseas but but what Andrew's doing at Tottenham is just simply remarkable we, we saw it at Celtic it took a little bit of time in Scotland for him to, to put his formula on that team but eventually they became almost unstoppable. And, and then we're seeing it so early with Tottenham. We're only eight games into the season. They've, they've beaten Manchester United. They've beaten my own Liverpool, unfortunately. But they're just playing some sensational football. And, and it's even more impressive considering that, that they lost Harry Kane, of course, their captain and, and star striker. He went to Bayern Munich in the off-season to, to win a Champions League and, and win a trophy because, of course, Tottenham haven't won one in so long. But definitely this Tottenham team is the best Tottenham team I've seen in a long, long time. And it's just unbelievable that just eight games in, how much belief and and just, yeah, just abs- it's absolutely amazing how much belief that Ange, the Aussie Ange has, has uh, installed in, into Tottenham and the fan base over there as well. Another great chat, Jordan. You started this discussion by saying happy Everest Day. If listeners can't get up to Sydney or, or are thinking about where they might watch the races this afternoon, great stop is the Jamboree Hotel. Jordan Warren's Jamboree Hotel. He, he might not actually own it, but it's the family <laughs> hotel. And what a great sunny afternoon it would be to be down at Jamboree, watching the races, having a beverage, enjoying a good time. I know the Jamboree Hotel will be heaving this afternoon, Jordan. Thanks for your chat this morning. We'll talk to you again next week after the break, though. It's basketball. Kings, Hawks with Matty Campbell right after this. There's a new player in town. Wollongong City GWM Havel. Visit them for a test drive today. You're listening to Saturdays in the Gong on SEN Track. There's a new player in town. Wollongong City GWM Havel. Visit them for a test drive today. You're listening to Saturdays in the Gong on SEN Track. Ah, my favourite Akadaka song gets me going every time I hear it, Tim Barron. It's the perfect lead-in to our basketball chat shooting to thrill unfortunately there wasn't enough shooting to thrill from the Illawarra Hawks to open round three of the NBL the Tassie Jack Jumpers too good for the Hawkies 103-73 so for the mathematically challenged that's the 30 point loss our regular Saturdays in the gong co-host is also the Hawks general manager of basketball Matty Campbell Tim Barrow is sweating on all the hard-hitting questions after that result I'm going to ask with a much softer one how's the city of churches this morning my friend as you prepare for this evening's game against Adelaide oh it's overcast and rainy I've just started to drizzle rain here in the city of churches so and as you 
Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at marines.com. You said absolute barfing we topped to the hands of the Tasmanian Jack Jumpers. Uh, boys are absolutely fired up and are going to play to kill as per the song that you played on the intro. <laughs> well, Matty, we can see, as you know, we can see your house from where we broadcast here at the Wollongong Golf Club. As you sit in the drizzle in Adelaide, I can tell you it's about 25 degrees already. Not a cloud in the sky in Wollongong. It is a picture-perfect day. Baz and I are going to go into your backyard, fire up the barbie, help ourselves to a few uh, beverages out of your beer fridge and enjoy ourselves this afternoon while you're on the road. But, Tim Barrow, you're ready to fire. I'm, I'm gonna, up, come on. I'm going to be like Trevor and just stand in his driveway and, and admire his impact garage door. <laughs> garage door out the front while I have one of those beers. Matty, I mean, I guess the great benefit is that it's just such a quick turnaround. I mean, you don't have time to stew on it. Did they even bother sort of watching video or is it just a matter of righto boys, let's go and make amends on Saturday? Yeah, look, a quick a quick hit on the video. Um, obviously, you, you don't want to you don't lose the learning opportunities when you get your ass handed to you like that. So from, from the boys' point of view, the coaches ripped it apart. Didn't focus too much on um, some of the offensive things that went wrong from the team. Really honed in on defense. Um, given up 100 points again. That's two times out of the three games we've given up 100 points. And then against the Sydney Kings, it was 96. So might as well have been 100. So the reality of where we are as a basketball team is that we are still very talented, no doubt. Um, and, you know, the commentary on the games and across social media says the same thing. It's just a matter of finding that chemistry both offensively and defensively and defense is the is the one area that's probably the biggest concern um and and the, and rightfully so the coaches have really hammered in on that so the video was all about um some of the easy things to fix like you know there's nothing there's, there's not anything that i've seen that's you know okay throw the whole book out the window let's start from scratch it's just fine-tuning maybe locking a bit of the the actual what's important to the team, trying to find a little bit of an identity as a group and um, maybe hone in on, you know, the offensive end of the game will come to everybody on the team if we get the defence right. So, I mean, with every 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 sport talks about it. Uh, defence wins championships and, um, you know, that's the area of, of most concern so far, but the easiest area to fix, really, just comes down to fundamentals. Matty, Mason Peatling uh, is out with a facial fracture and Hung Jung Lee, your Korean, missed that game against the Tassie Jack Jumpers as well with food poisoning. Now, coincidentally, I believe that his mum is out here. Uh, what's she been cooking him? You've had to accompany Hung <laughs> yeah. Jung Lee to Adelaide as he tries to get back from food poisoning. I couldn't believe that he's been actually eating his mum's cooking. <laughs> yeah, I know. Seriously, she'd be feeling awful. 
Um, no, uh, he's, he's in good spirits. But you're right. Like it, it, the, the fact is, we had two players missing, but definitely no excuse on that on the back of such a poor effort. So um, Mason Peeling is a big big miss. I mean, HJ, um, you know, he's been outstanding for us. He's a, the Korean sniper, as they call him. Um, we're now calling him the saviour after the 30 point grubby. So we're hoping that he'll bring that for us tonight. But um, you know, Mason Peeling's an older head, great great leader um, and really a locker room guy who I, you know at half time against the Tassie team when we were down 20 I think he would have been the person that would have revved him up um, we are going to miss that now so and he, in the game against uh, the southeast um, um, Phoenix he, he copped a head knock from Todd Blanchill so friendly fire um, and we didn't think too much of it past his uh, HIA test during the game and then post game and Went home, had a shower, blew his nose, and his, his cheek filled up with air. So thought he had oh. a problem, went to the hospital, and had a, <laughs> multiple fractures in his cheekbone. So he's going to miss four weeks. Uh, had surgery yesterday. The surgeon said everything went really well. and uh, He'll be on track to come back, I think, for the Kings game. So the Sydney Kings are trying to do what Penrith has just done and win three in a row. They are three and one to start the season, the defending champs. I was at their home opener last week calling a game for SEN. They had more than 14,000 people at Kudos Bank Arena. That's the biggest home opening crowd in NBL history for a standalone game. There's been a bigger crowd for a double header, but the first standalone crowd of more than 14,000 in league history. So a great way to get out of the blocks, the Kings. They beat Adelaide last week, last night. They were too good for the Brisbane Bullets, 113-102. Matty Campbell, using your hoops expertise, what are you making of the Kings very early on? Yeah, I really like what they're doing, to be honest. I, 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 I mean, I openly said it on this show that I was a bit concerned about them especially with their injury worries, and they were a little fragile, is what I believe I said. But, you know, they've certainly started the season um, showing that they're, they're going to play a different style than everyone else. Um, and it's kind of one of those years where where you look at it and you go, well, everybody has sort of recruited the same way, tried to play the same style of basketball, except for the Kings. The Kings have come out and gone, well, hang on, we're going to change this a little bit. We're going to do something a little bit different um, and see if the rest of the league can keep up with us. And... You know, talking about scoring the ball, they, they again scored over 100 points last night, um, showcased their firepower offensively. But I just think they're playing a really good brand and a unique brand of basketball that I think at the moment um, other teams are struggling to understand, um, given that they've got an NBA coach. I think it's very much in line with the NBA style and they've recruited NBA players or NBA kind of talent um, to be able to play that style and it's very effective at the moment. I don't think the panic sets in with the Hawks, given that the Tasmania Jack Jumpers are early pace setters with the Kings. Matty, I, I guess the, the thing going to Adelaide today is that they're 0-4 as well. The, is the team wary of getting dragged into a real scrap? I mean, you've got plenty of points in you. You've, you've got plenty of firepower. But just given there is a bit of desperation in both camps, you know, the game can easily sort of get dragged into a, a real battle. Yeah, yeah, totally. I mean, you know, we, we looked at, um, you know, Perth Wildcats are now 2-2. Two and two. We're 1-2. We're, we're and two. You know, the re- reality for us, if we sneak this game today, um, which we hope to do, then we're sitting middle of the pack. So the, the panic hasn't set in yet, but there is genuine concern about the, the, the effort levels and the consistency on the defensive end. So, you know, that, that's, that's probably the concern in camp. You know, the, the playing group got together and, and obviously expressed that, 
you know, that, that 30-point loss to Tasmania is not good enough from their point of view. They, they had their own meeting outside of the coaches. Um, and I think it was a bit of a, the start of the soul-searching from the group point of view. Uh, hopefully, from my, my experience in all of this area, they can really establish a leadership group from that, that, from that meeting um, and, held, and hold each other accountable. And, that, and that's the key to having a really good team. When you've got internal pressure um, by by your by your peers to to make sure that you fundamentally don't you know make mistakes, that's where I think um, good teams are built from. And I'm, I'm I'm looking forward to to the bounce back from the group. It is a really really good group. They're 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 an exceptional bunch of guys. Um, they, their hearts all in the right place. I think they've just been a little bit misguided in their own uh, pathway so far. Um, and hopefully they come together as a team tonight. Double-header today in the NBL. Adelaide against Illawarra into southeast Melbourne against the Tassie Jack Jumpers. During the week, we saw Cairns go down to the Washington Wizards. Uh, the Xavier Cooks, Washington Wizards, by about 50 points. And the Breakers go down to the Portland Trailblazers by 40 points. So we'll gloss over those games pretty quickly, Matty Campbell, and just say to you, enjoy the drizzle in Adelaide, my friend. I hope you get a few moments to watch the Everest <laughs> later on because I know Matt's mock is Come lurking. on, Marzu. <laughs> Mars, you for Matt. Okay, do you like that? Oh, there you, you go. Like There's that? a mock. There's a mock and a half for everybody uh, out there. Seventy-one dollars right now. I'm <laughs> telling you, get on. Matt Campbell might make it back to Sydney before Marzu makes it over the finish line today. <laughs> <laughs> right, Matty. Thanks for your time. Enjoy right, Adelaide. See, see if you can find your way to church before you head to the basketball. We've got into the news and back with more on Saturdays in the Gong. There's a new player in town. Wollongong City GWM Havel. Visit them for a test drive today. You're listening to Saturdays in the Gong on SEN Track. straight out of the Tim Barrow playlist and I reckon it's really fitting because there's a man who's about to join us on the phone who today thinks he's indestructible and certainly when it comes to a man he reports on often, Alex Volkanovsky, I reckon he thinks he's indestructible as well. Mitch Jennings, good morning to you on a special weekend for yourself. Why can't you join us this morning? You better tell listeners. Uh, morning boys, morning boys. Yeah, I'm feeling, uh, I'm feeling sprightly and uh, vibrant. About to j- jump on a jump on a bus and, and head up to the, the Everest today with a few few old old friends and a few old grubs, but uh, <laughs> we're going to do, do our best. Uh, I'm feeling really, you, you know, you probably got me at the right time, mate, 8.30 in the morning and feeling ready for a charge, but uh, yeah, it might not be the case if you brought me in in the second hour, so we'll have to, <laughs> to wait and see how it plays out. Now, Mitch, Tim and I received a text uh, midweek, only minutes after this announcement came from Alex Volkanovsky, that he's going to, uh, at late notice, jump in the octagon again with with Makachev. And you said one of the great achievements in mixed martial arts history is about to unfold. Why? Oh, look, it's it's monumental, Matty. I'll admit, I saw it when it first started floating around on sort of social media and that the other day. I'll I'll admit, I legitimately thought it was a G-up because it just seemed so, so unlikely. You know, there was always a chance that they were going to obviously have a rematch at some point. But to to do it in Abu Dhabi, to to take it on 11 days' notice, I've always said before, Alex Volkanovsky, he's just not like any any athlete I've ever encountered. He's not like any human I've ever encountered. And uh, 
to take this this task on it, it's monumental to people try to oh, I think the biggest indication you can tell about just how big it is is that there are people out there who genuinely want to see a fight pissed off it's happening in these circumstances because obviously that first fight was was so competitive and such an epic bout and everyone was really really keen for a rematch and there's people out there now that you know want to see that rematch and a bit annoyed that you know there'll be this asterisk I suppose on it with Alex going in on 11 days notice and you know you can't be obviously it just doesn't matter how how prepped you you start you can't be as prepared uh, on 11 days as you would be for a full fight camp but um, like Alex always says he, he's built different and boy oh boy we're about to see if uh, he goes there and gets this victory uh, it'd be certainly the best thing I think I've seen in, in combat sports you know in my time covering and watching because just such a monumental thing to go up a division you know take a guy who's just an absolute destroyer in that division in Abu Dhabi giving away absolutely every advantage you can give away pre-fight uh, and he's giving it all away Volt but he's going to get on the plane and yeah it's going to be an absolute belter and uh, the good thing boys too given it's an Abu Dhabi card you're probably going to see the card kicking off at about 5am so it's a nice way nice way to, uh, to start the tins nice and early and not just in combat sports, I think in Australian sport it will be one of the most significant victories coming in off such short notice. As you say, going back up a weight division to, to try and claim the crown, which he fairly controversially got the decision against him last time. Obviously, Geno, though, you know, Volk hasn't been sitting around on the, the lounge for the past few months just waiting to see what was going to happen next. I mean, you've got the connection, uh, you know, know the Windang Jim uh, pretty well. How is his preparation? Does he just flick a switch and just start going back into to full battle? Or, or you know, is, would he just be keeping up all his routines, you know, as, as he normally would? Well, Baz, I think he probably started preparing for an Islam rematch probably when he was walking out of the cage at the end of their last fight, I'd say. Before he got back to the, to the dressing shed, I'd say he was probably already, you know, in that mode and, and analysing, you know, speaking to him, what he, what he could have done differently, what he'd do differently next time. So he's been preparing for... A, an Islam rematch, you know, from the moment the, the last fight ended, really. Obviously, he had some business to take care of him in, at featherweight, you know, in the IE Rodriguez. He did that, you know, with relative ease and uh, took an elbow injury. You know, that's the other factor that you've got to throw into this as well. He took an elbow injury into that fight that required surgery afterwards. So, even in the immediate aftermath of that fight, he's, um, he's been had surgery and sort of had limited preparation in that regard as well. But uh, everyone knows his, his fitness and his cardio and his... his you know, preparation is always second to none. He's got an unmatched gas tank. You know, certainly in the in the sport, anywhere else in the, in combat sports, probably. So he's always in shape. He's always in good nick. And the fact that he is going to fight at lightweight will make make for a very small weight cut. Not like he's having to to cut down to featherweight like he ordinarily would. So in some ways, it's probably an easier thing to do at lightweight than it would have been for him to do at featherweight. So yeah, to answer your question, he is that always ready type guy, but uh, like I said, there's no substitute for a full camp when you're getting ready for a guy like Markachev, but obviously it's, it is interesting for, for both fighters, given that you know they both would have known that a rematch was, was in the offing at some point. Uh, they both had such long preparations leading into their first fight and would have analysed so much about what the other can, can do, and I can't imagine there'll be too much that, certainly too much that Islam will will change about his approach. He's him and that, that you know, Khabib Nurmagomedov, Dagestani camp sort of have that measure of you know what we're going to do but you can't stop us doing it I mean so that I think as far as the, the preparation the mental preparation the tactics and everything else I think Volk will be completely fine and that'll just come up to you know yeah whether whether he can bring himself up physically uh, you know on such uh, such short notice but uh, look I wouldn't uh, I wouldn't back against him in that regard seeing the way he trains all year round
Mitch Jennings, the Russell boys, and their dad included, really looking forward to Tim Zoo's next outing. Tomorrow on the Gold Coast, you've followed this career very closely. He seems like he's a steam train, just powering forward. What happens tomorrow? Uh, I tend to think it'll be similar to what we've, uh, to what we've seen, Matty, obviously. With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, motion sounds something like this. Kizik helps you experience the magic of motion. With over 200 patents and easy on, easy off technology, you'll never have to touch your shoes again. There are hundreds of styles and colors, plus a squish like nothing you've ever felt. For a limited time, get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. Why is it that with sparkling water, I'm always playing guessing games with what flavor I'm drinking? Is it citrus? Is it aluminum can flavored? Mm, not sure. Sparkling ice, though, they really mean flavor. Like in-your-face flavor. Orange mango, black raspberry. Don't even get me started on the strawberry lemonade. Kiwi strawberry slid right into my taste buds DMs last night and let them know who's boss. No subtleties there and no sugar either. But it does have vitamins and antioxidants. Find sparkling ice at a major grocery store or club retailer near you. Sparkling ice. Anything but subtle. Taking on Brian Mendoza, it's it's a, it's a task. It's certainly, I can't recall in recent times what you're seeing Timmy fight someone with as dangerous a punching power as far as that that one punch knockout capability. Brian Mendoza, uh, he's got some stoppage victories. His most recent one against Seb Fandora, he uh, obviously got that one, and he's a bit of a giant killer. He relishes sort of being in the underdog status that that he's taking into this fight. He was about six one there against Seb Fandora and finished that by knockout. So he's he's relishing that. Um, that status, but I think, yeah, Tim, the form he's been in, the level he's on, uh, to me, it's very hard to see anyone really testing him too much at at, uh, at Super Welterweight, so he's going to go in there. It's his first it's his first world title fight. He's obviously been elevated to, to world title status, given uh, Jamel Charlo, who's been doing all he can to dodge him for the last the best part of two years, uh, obviously uh, stepped in against Canelo a couple of weeks back. That elevated him to, to full champion status with the WBO, so this is uh, in fact, his first defence of his title. So you're not going to be the only guys going to be facing in that environment at that level uh, are going to be dangerous fighters. Mendoza's uh, in that class, but uh, I think you'd be unwise to be uh, to backing against uh, backing against Timmy in this one. And Geno Semi Goodman, Albion Park's own, has uh, declared that he's ready to destroy Miguel Flores on Sunday in the super bantamweight as I trip over every single word I just spoke. <laughs> that's all right, that's all right. We've got a text here. G'day, Simon from Balgowney, just north of Wollongong. Although I don't gamble, the Everest has now joined the big races I watch, Cox Plate, Melbourne Cup, Golden Slipper and Everest. Now, we've had Mitch Jennings on to talk to us about Volkanovski, Tim Zhu. Earlier, Mitch, we had Matt Campbell from... The Illawarra Hawks tip a $61 pop. Mars, you, you're not going that long with your tip today in the Everest, I hope. Uh, certainly not. No, no. Actually, as a, as a bit of segue into Sammy Goodman, uh, everyone knows he's uh, his mad bunch supporter crew are, are partial to a punt, uh, and they don't mind outlaying a few. So I'm sure Sammy uh, anchoring a few multis over the weekend. But uh, from that camp, I'm hearing think about it. Uh, he's where a lot of that money's going to be going. I think that's where I'll be putting... My cash, but I don't think I don't think you can miss with uh, with Sammy Goodman. Obviously, taking on Miguel Flores, it's a you know it's a stay busy fight. That's the reality of it. But I mean, it's the first time probably Sammy's gone into a fight with that. He's got that number one mandatory position with uh, with the IBF. It's the first time he's really gone into that type of fight where you know you've got very little to gain but a lot to lose. It's sort of the, the reality when you 
one or two fights away from the world title frame. It's the type of fight you have. That's the type of fight he's in. So it's a new, I guess, mental battle for him uh, in, in that regard as to how he handles that. But uh, a lot, a lot at stake if he uh, can get this win and he can hold on to his IBF mandatory status. He's also ranked number one with WBO. Of course, Noia Inoue. Uh, he's a pound-for-pound absolute destroyer in the super bantamweight division. He's going to be unifying against uh, Marlon Tapales in December, which could put all the belts uh, in one hand. He'll be a pronounced favourite in that fight in a way. Uh, if he has all those all those belts and if Sammy gets this job done, he might end up you know, having a fight with Inouye, which would be just among one of the biggest fights we've ever seen you know, in Australian fight. We'll be going back to probably Lionel Rose and, and fighting Harada uh, way back in the day to be that top of belt. So plenty of stake for, for Sammy tomorrow, but uh, look, I think you've got to you got to back him in. So if I was, uh, I'd probably go think about it into Sammy Goodman by stoppage would be, uh, would be my multi. Go, Sammy Goodman. Go think about it for Joe Pride, written by Sam Clipperton. Safe passage to you, Mitch Jennings, as you and your friends navigate Everest Day at Royal Ramwick. Thanks for your time this morning. A break on Saturdays in the gong, then we're back with more. There's a new player in town. Wollongong City GWM Havel. Visit them for a test drive today. You're listening to Saturdays in the Gong on SEN Track. There's a new player in town. Wollongong City GWM Havel. Visit them for a test drive today. You're listening to Saturdays in the Gong on SEN Track. Optimist. I wonder whether Australian rugby is optimistic about its future. I wonder what Eddie Jones is thinking about his future because when he left for the World Cup in that famous media conference where he said, I can't believe the level of negativity here, boys. You're so bloody negative about everything. Well, there's not a lot of positivity about Eddie now even staying with the Wallabies. On Tuesday, we'll learn more. He says he's committed to the Wallabies. Coming up, Toby Dawson, second hour of Saturdays in the Gong, will weigh into this issue and look at the World Cup quarterfinals, some classic Southern Northern Hemisphere matchups. But, Tim Barrow, you've been reading about another coach. You've been enjoying Andrew Webster's book about Wayne Bennett, The Wolf You Feed. What jumped out to you as you read through that book? The Wolf You Feed, yeah, a ripping book about Wayne Bennett's career from the time he started in Brisbane as a player and then went on to be a coach, was taken to Canberra, and then it all kicked off with the Broncos. It goes through his life, uh, his personal life as well. Wayne Bennett... um, comes across really generous in his time with Andrew Webster and and gave great insight. But it was really interesting because I worked around Wayne Bennett here at the Dragons during that time as well. So I got the insight to sort of see a bit of how the man works, how his media personality comes across against who he is as a person. We didn't always, you know, mesh, get on, see eye to eye on certain things. But he always was, you know, even when he wasn't giving you a lot on the record, he was pretty upfront pretty pretty genuine it was an interesting anecdote in 2011 when he told the dragons he was leaving and so he had the offers from the rabbitos the knights and the broncos on the table he went back to brisbane spoke to the the then new ceo paul white who he knew from his time in the police force and they basically gave him the offer that look four-year deal then we'll have a succession plan where anthony griffin will take the job who at the time was the under 20s coach benny said i don't agree with that and so they had the argument about whether 
that would be the plan. And Bennett didn't like it. He he said, I went and had a meeting. Uh, I've not had a meeting. Sorry, I've lost that. He, basic, <laughs> he basically came back and said, I decided there and then that I was not going to come back to Brisbane. Okay. He was not impressed by, by Anthony Griffin at all. But he was also driving up Mount Oosley with Ben Hornby and Dean Young one day, and he let it slip that I'm thinking about going to South. Ben, Hern- ben Hornby, with a couple of swear words in there, said, you're not going there. The boys would cop it if you went to Brisbane or Newcastle, but they can't cop it if you go to South. So with Brisbane out of the picture and South out of the picture, he ended up at Newcastle with the incentive of the Nathan Tinkler money. The funny part about all of that is Anthony Griffin ended up down here at St George Illawarra, <laughs> and Ben Hornby ended up with Bennett at South Sydney. There you go. The Wolf You Feed. Well done, Andrew Webster. Great book. I'm looking forward to It is a sensational read. Really one. good. And we'll talk more league second hour because there's an intriguing Super League grand final coming up. We've got the Pacific Championships to preview, but after the break, the audience hangs on Pete the Perfect panel punches from Putney's Random Fact. It's up next. There's a new player in town. Wollongong City GWM Havel. Visit them for a test drive today. You're listening to Saturdays in the Gong on SEN Track. There's a new player in town. Wollongong City GWM Havel. Visit them for a test drive today. You're listening to Saturdays in the Gong on SEN Track. Oh, this is getting a cult following this segment. Last week, Pete the Perfect panel puncher from Putney, who is now really the hard-working hero from Hunters Hill, gave us a story about how bootlegging in the US gave rise to NASCAR racing and NASCAR drivers. Pete, over to you. Your random fact for this week. Good morning, everyone. Yeah, today we're going to discuss the little, uh, the often little discussed sport of tightrope walking, or high wire walking. <laughs> Very little discussed. Back in the... No- 1973, just over 50 years ago, a French tightrope walker by the name of Philippe Petit made a whistle-stop visit to Sydney, and he walked between the pylons of the Harbour Bridge on a bright, sunny morning. Uh, He walked between the two pylons on the northern side of the Harbour Bridge, and the police came and arrested him. Now, this was done very quickly. He he came into Australia. He was well-known. He was the subject of a documentary called Man on Wire a few years ago where he walked between the Twin Towers uh, in 1973 as well. But he came to Sydney and did this, and the police didn't know what to do. The traffic was stopped. He walked backwards backwards and across the Harbour Bridge between the pylons five or six times, and in order to try and get him down, the police started to cut the ropes of his tightrope. <laughs> That'll get you down. That, and, 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 and he said, he said, I could have been killed. But he said, I got to the pylon and I stopped, right? Obviously, because they, he said, they didn't know what they were doing. I don't blame anyone, but it could have been the end of me. They, they arrested him. Uh, and being a street performer, he started off in Paris as a mime artist and a pickpocket as well uh, was part of his act. As they took him to the North Sydney Police Station, only about 400 metres from the pylons, he actually managed to steal the watch of one of the police who was arresting him. <laughs> oh, fantastic. And he gave it back to him. He gave it back to him. Did he? He gave it back to him, but he also, in order to get some more rope, because he didn't have enough rope to walk between the pylons, he went out to a factory out, I think it was out at St Mary's, and exchanged the rope in, order, in, in exchange for a free performance for the 
for the people in the factory. So all these oh, guys wow. in their overalls, like, who's this French bloke riding around on his unicycle juggling and things like this, which he did the same thing in Martin Place, and the police stopped him because he was disturbing the peace. Um, What's his well. name? Philippe, Philippe, Philippe Petit. Petit. The film was Man on Wire, and if you do what the clip is on YouTube, uh, and it's James Rickardson, who was a local filmmaker, helped him, and he has put the music, the Fleetwood Mac song Albatross, under this beautiful, breathtaking scene of him walking between the two pylons with the finished but not open opera house. Does, um, does this background. relate to any sporting event this weekend, well, like this, last week's no, Bathurst NASCAR? No, the sport is okay, just random fact. Oh, just a random fact. Love it. Yeah. Love it. Well done, Pete. We've got we've got to get to bang the gong. That's a that's a fantastic <laughs> random fact. Philippe Petit's never had more exposure, I think, uh, in recent <laughs> times than what you've just given him. Uh, bang the gong, Tim Barrow. We're celebrating this great region. What do you got for us? I'm going to go to the great man, Ali Day Kayama's own. He's won eight Coolangatta golds. It could be number nine on Sunday. And he did say to the Mercury yesterday that it could well be his last. He's 33, now a legend of the sport. You know, you grow up watching the Trevor Hendys and the Mercer brothers. Ali Day could just top them all. He's a four-time... Ironman champion, what a legend. Michael Jennett and a team from Wollongong City Surf Lifesaving Club also up there. We'll talk more about that next hour. I want to give my bang the gong maestro to Cleavers and Company Butchery there at Gwynville. They do a great job. A fantastic team, always friendly. This week I went in looking for a steak. They didn't have what I was after, so you know what they directed me into? Some goat. I haven't had goat for, I don't know how long, maybe ever. It was magnificent. It was like lamb chops, but not even half the price. Goat, I highly recommend Goat. Well done, Cleavers and Co. Butchery. We've got the second hour of Saturdays in the Gong coming up next. Toby Dawson talking rugby first up. There's a new player in town. Wollongong City GWM Havel. Visit them for a test drive today. Welcome to Saturdays in the Gong on SEM Track. second hour of Saturdays in the Gong we roll broadcasting from Wollongong Golf Club where it is another picture perfect day great to see so many players out enjoying the wonderful course here in the Illawarra also thanks to Impact Garage Doors they've been impacting homes in the Illawarra for 20 years the Illawarra Mercury and a great new sponsor Avcon specializing in industrial and response projects waste management emergency spill response industrial services water rescue key projects you name it Avcon projects .com.au. Ryan Burke and the team at Kaima will look after you. Uh, it's good to have you listening for the second hour of Saturdays in the Gong. Matt Russell, Tim Barrow, and now Toby Dawson, which means it's time for this national anthem. Maestro, take it away. Viva la France. loud and proud as the quarterfinals unveil themselves this well over the next 48 hours toby good morning to you we've had a chat earlier about um, eddie jones and i'm interested on your take on this because he says i'm committed to australia i feel like there's a dot 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 after that in, in brackets until i sign officially with japan what's your gut instinct what are we going to learn on tuesday about mr positivity Look. don't be negative the drunk uncle eddie jones you know i love australian rugby i won't kick it in the shins too hard i've backed eddie in throughout this world cup campaign but 
when the Japanese media are reporting it, when it's reported that he's booked in for an in-person interview come November, it's starting to get a little bit tough. It's getting a little bit um, difficult to swallow, good old drunk. Not only is he now the drunk uncle, it turns out when he went to your cousin's wedding, <laughs> he was sleeping with your auntie. Right? Oh, that's a, and not that's his a wife. great analogy. You know, the drunk uh. uncle's having an affair and it looks like he's about to move in with a girlfriend. I think... Well, mate, when you look at these comments on departure, I can't believe the level of negativity here, boys. You're so bloody negative about everything. If it is proven, as, as we think it has been, that he has met with Japan before that media conference, isn't that the height of negativity? Signing a deal with Australia, but being so negative about your future there that you go and meet with Japan beforehand? That is the height of hypocrisy through my eyes. Yeah, it's negativity if you're looking at something that's pretty, you know, positive and putting a spin on it. But if you're looking at something objectively and reporting it, the people in rose-coloured glasses need to actually, you know, take them off and look at the reality of what's happening. I think that, to the reality point, Australian rugby can't afford to get rid of Eddie. They've signed him for a five-year contract. If they boot him because they don't like what he's done, that's going to cost them. They're going to have to pay him out. That's dollars that they can't afford to spare. Mm. So what they need to do, they need to back him up, back him in the whole way. They need to go the whole nine yards. And should he then get the job with Japan... He can choose to terminate the contract. They don't have to pay this money out. I would but like to see a legal eagle explore that and say, you know, if you did sack him, we could avoid the payout because he's been in breach of contact by meeting with a rival organisation. One organization thing Rugby Union anonymous. has plenty of is legal eagle supporters. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes, well, <laughs> the whole competition's based on it. <laughs> Matt Russell, as a media type, mm. whether he stays or whether he goes is almost secondary to me. I want to see what happens in this press conference in terms of, yeah, we've just spoken about it. He put the blowtorch on the media. You're negative, you're writing us off, you know, it's all it's all bad. Now he's done this. Does he go in and deny that there was ever any meaningful discussion that he was, he was going to jump if he does stay? So if he does stay, or is he going to take his whack? Is he going to take his whack and realise that he's now got four years to build towards another World Cup and maybe he should start bringing people on side? I would start Tuesday's media conference with a very simple question. Eddie Jones, before the World Cup, did you meet with Japanese rugby regarding a coaching job, yes or no? Mm. If the answer is no, then okay, we'll have to take him on his word. If it is yes, is your position now untenable? Yeah. And the answer to that... I would imagine would be yes. But I think the problem with the whole Eddie Jones fiasco is it's distracting us from the situation that is staring us in the eyes being the sad state of Australian rugby. Absolutely, Toby. You know, Absolutely. The, whether, whether he did, whether he didn't is somewhat erroneous. Exactly. It's, 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 a, it's a story, isn't it? It's a story. It's, it's, it's a brilliant. Story. It's beautiful. It brings the excitement. It throws the headlines out there. But the problem with it, if we get too fixated on it, it's a really good scapegoat. And I've talked yes. about this recently... We don't need excuses and scapegoats out of this campaign. We need people to be accountable to follow through. So I actually would love to know that Eddie's done the job interview because it, you know, it confirms a lot of the side chat. It can put that side chat to bed. You're, you're right. So that's the sensational story. The substance story is the state of Australian rugby. Exactly, and we need people to be accountable. We don't want. I'd love Eddie to not be successful in his application to Japanese rugby. He's got five years here. Make him bloody work. I don't think he's a problem. I don't think he's going to cause any more drama than what we've already got. Make Put him to work because he is. There was um, comments out of uh, the English Rugby Union this week talking about his commitment to driving grassroots community rugby. That's what Australian rugby needs. That's what we're missing. 
We need to re-establish that connection from the Wallabies to the young kids playing rugby at Vikings down on Swan Street. Mm. How do we restart that? How do we reignite that? How do we get that whole pipeline end-to-end working? That's what Phil War needs support with. Yeah, and you know we talk about Phil War and Hamish McLennan, and that they have the mandate now for the next four years to not just about building the Wallabies up towards another World Cup, but building those layers of grassroots support and development so that you've got those pathways underneath to bring those players through. With Eddie, I think the question there is if he is sticking around and he is going to push through here, how willing is he to get his hands dirty with this? Because you can't just be, well, I'm the Wallabies coach and whatever happens underneath that is inconsequential to me because in the end, the trapdoor will open and there'll be nothing there for them to have support for the next World Cup. So he's got to be able to get his hands dirty and start getting involved with you know, the lower levels of rugby to build that structure. 100%. And we need to see, you know, the Wallabies having a training session, not in Wynn Stadium, but on the, you know, on the field B, you know, at Wollongong Uni, like they used to, for no other purpose than for kids to be able to go and watch, to explore, you know, see what rugby's about, actually start knowing, you know, who the players in the Wallabies are. To stand beside a player and think, wow, look how big he is, and have that stay with them as they go through the stages of their career. And exactly. Reach you know, out and touch the furniture. You ask a lot of kids who plays for the Wallabies, the only names that they can remember goes back to the 99 World Cup win. Mm. You know, it's still Sterling Mortlock, it's John Eels, it's... You know, those guys who went through... Far Jones, um, Liner, Horan. little shout-out whilst we're at it, though. Camp Easy. George Smith this week Robo. getting inducted to the Rugby World uh, World Rugby Hall of Fame. Yeah. You know, which is also a huge achievement. But it also speaks to how good a player he was. And he was such a good player because of the team. And so Eddie, um, Eddie Jones needs to get those players playing at that level, having that level of regard so that we can get more people in the in the Hall of Fame because we just are so far off the pace at the moment. Let's go from a coach who's in a dire situation to in a coach who's got an amazing opportunity in Andy Farrell with the Irish team. Obviously, he's uh, a rugby and rugby league international. Um, he's done such a good job with Ireland and now they could knock out New Zealand in a quarter final, which is extraordinary. Oh, Baz, this is <laughs> the best weekend of rugby in the whole World Cup on one side of the draw. So you've got the Ireland all-black game is going to be phenomenal. I think the, the the problem for New Zealand is that they've been on the weaker side of the draw. So there's been a lot of you know discussion and controversy around pools A and B were really quite strong and then C and D were a bit of a walk in the park. Yeah. Um, the Ireland all-blacks game is going to be phenomenal. I think because Ireland I mean, have come through in the really tough side of the draw, there's been a lot of you know exploration into the gameplay that they've got, the way that they're winning matches, that, you know, ferocity to make sure that they do convert. And look at, you know, before the game against Scotland last week, there was a lot of match-fixing discussion, but then Ireland came out and just walked all over Scotland. I think uh, New Zealand, there's been a lot of discussion around them because they've fell short against France, but, you know, I've mentioned, I actually think that that was pulled. They pulled Sam Sam Kane just before the match. I think that they did that intentionally. You know, let's not beat ourselves up. It's only a pool match. Um, so I think that the New Zealand Ireland matchup is going to be absolutely phenomenal. New Zealand have really started warming up and stepping into it. Um, Ian Foster came out recently to say, "What style of, style of football do you want to see?" So the Irish play that methodical, clinical, 
Northern Hemisphere structured set play. They'll Boring. Go the point. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Exactly. I was putting the colour to it, but that's what it is, Matty. The New ball. Zealand, if they step into their A game, that ball is going to get thrown. Their players are going to run. It's going to be really exciting. So to see that clash, it would have been awesome to see it as an actual final. But unfortunately, one of those two teams um, are going to go. I'm going to go New Zealand by six. Okay, well, he, here's the menu for the quarterfinals. Wales-Argentina, which is Warren Gatland against Michael Checker. I'll come back to that game in a moment. Then Ireland-New Zealand, 6 a.m. tomorrow, kick off that time. So wake up early on a Sunday and you'll see what you'd imagine would be a great game of rugby with contrasting styles, Ireland-New Zealand. Then England-Fiji. Surely everyone in Australia is, is going oh, for Fiji. I'm on the wagon. I'm on the train. We're, we're on the Buller and wagon. And don't forget, just before the World Cup in a warm-up match, uh, Fiji knocked England off in Twickenham. Well, let's so let's hope they can do it again. And then, then France v South Africa. So Wales-Argentina, Ireland-New Zealand, England-Fiji, France-South Africa, Northern Hemisphere against Southern Hemisphere in, in all of them. Wales-Argentina, Warren Gatlin-Michael Checker. How's Czech going to feature here? On their day, Argentina could easily knock off Wales. Unfortunately, Argentina don't have the consistency that we've seen from Wales throughout the World Cup. Okay. Um, I think Warren Gatlin, you know, you saw him put the sword to Australia. He's an experienced campaigner. He knows the structure. He'll know the play that Czech is going to put through Argentina, and he'll counter that with a really effective game plan through Wales. And they have, throughout this World Cup, delivered on those expectations every time Warren Gatlin's put them to it. So... I think on consistency, Wales will get the nod. But if Argentina are on their on their day, they'll get it. And I would love to see Southern Hemisphere rugby win. Ignorant leaguey question. If Eddie Jones walks, could we get Michael Checker back? 100%. Mm. 100%. So there's a lot of discussion taking place around who we could get back, who's going to be in the seat. Um, I think, you know, you look at where we were with Robbie Deans. This is the other thing, right? We don't like anything about Eddie Jones because it's uncomfortable, it's awkward. We also never wanted an international coach to coach our national rugby team. Then Robbie Deans came in. Oh, this is the worst decision Australian rugby's ever done. Robbie Deans won, started winning games. Oh, Robbie Deans is all right. The problem with Australian rugby isn't the coach. It's the success rate. As soon as we start winning, mm. we'll get behind them. So all this chat around, oh, no one can support Eddie Jones is baloney. People can support Eddie Jones if he's providing results, but he's not providing results. So the craziness, the drunk uncle sleeping with someone at the wedding and, you know, <laughs> if you're having this fair, just own up and leave, right? Yeah, and yeah. just be a winner and you'll probably get away with it. So, <laughs> so you're tipping Wales to beat Argentina. You've yep. got New Zealand by six over Ireland. They're the first two. That's got that New Zealand-Ireland game. I'm calling it up again. Get out of bed, watch that. It'll six be a cracker. Okay, so Wales and New Zealand. Now... That brings us to England, Fiji. Baz, oh, go Fiji. What, what, what an upset this would be at a World Cup to have a country, the population of Fiji, taking on the might of England where, you know, they pride themselves on rugby and knocking them off. Yeah. Could it happen? It, and it's an amazing opportunity for Pacific rugby, rugby in general. I mean, mm. I don't want to translate everything to rugby league, but, I mean, you look at the development of Samoa and Tonga in the Pacific Nations, the Pacific Championships on this weekend. It's, there's a real rivalry, and they're up to that international level. So it's great to see Fiji, who have had such success in the sevens, be able to build their base now to that point. And which just shows... 
how ridiculous that Australia in in such the mire now that Fiji can build such a base mm. in what's a you know a tiny island nation as much as they love rugby. It's about nine hundred and fifty thousand people in Fiji, not even a million. They haven't cracked a million, and they're sitting at the quarterfinal table for the World Cup, which is huge against the Bahamas. Being England, which is the birthplace of our rugby, back in I think it was eighteen twenty-three, William Webb Ellis picked up the soccer yeah. ball in you know ran lunchtime soccer and ran with it at the school of rugby, which is why it's called rugby union. Anyway, there's my random fact. I can't keep up with Pete, but <laughs> that 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 might that might actually challenge Pete's today. <laughs> uh, with the greatest respect to the Frenchman who was walking the wire over the Harbour Bridge, didn't quite reach the NASCAR uh, bootlegging <laughs> random fact of last week. So so you mentioned that England. Uh, was taken down by Fiji as a warm-up game. Do you read anything into that because uh, players were sitting out? Or Yeah, that was also during the moment of controversy. Um, Owen was out. He'd had the red card or yeah. that was then downgraded that then was re-upgraded and he had to send, spend some time on the sidelines. He's now back. Um, this is Owen Farrell, 5'8", English 5'8". Uh, he's, a, he's a really good playmaker, a really important piece or part of the, um, of the English team. Uh, so initially coming into the pool stages, they were a bit all over the shop. They okay. were all over the shop. They're not there. They've had a few good wins. The confidence is built. The team structure is built. It's going to be a cracker. I don't think it'll be an Ireland All Blacks cracker, but it's going to be a cracker. I would absolutely love to see Fiji win. Don't forget, they're still playing with the uh, passion. Mm. You know, we still had you know the funeral of the seven-year-old son of Joshua who elected to not go home for the funeral to make sure that Fiji got in. Mm. There is more than rugby results on the line for Fiji. They are going to step up. Semi Rodrava, you know, back to rugby league, we can draw another line back there. He's playing absolutely phenomenal football for Fiji out on the wing. If he can get himself inserted, come in, run some, you know, lines in through the back line, if they can create the unstructured play, Fiji love the unstructured play, and again, back to your boring Northern Hemisphere rugby, if we can have it unstructured, a bit of loose ball, yeah. a few opportunities for counter-attack, Fiji will romp home. Wouldn't it be good to see unstructured rugby, exciting rugby beat not only England, but their style of footy? And I think it's un-Australian if we don't wake up on Monday morning and have a hot cup of carver and cheer the <laughs> Fijians. Bugger the coffee. Be on the carver come Monday morning. Yeah, phenomenal effort if they get to a, a semi. And, and it's it's about that momentum too, isn't it? I mean, you get dragged into the trenches with England, you're probably not coming out. But if you can get that momentum and get out and rolling, well, who knows? France, South Africa, the final one, maybe the biggest quarterfinal. Uh, the host nation against a team that's taken all before them so far. What I love about this is Dupont, the captain, the halfback, Two weeks ago, three weeks ago, broken cheekbone with a dangerous play. His corner had surgery on his cheekbone and he has now been ruled fit to play against <laughs> oh, wow. South Africa. This is how much it means to the French team. You know, I don't know anyone who's ever recovered from a fractured cheek socket. Why isn't Mason Peatling playing tonight then? He has a fractured cheekbone for the Hawkies and he's out for a month. And it's not even a contact sport. <laughs> this French rugby bloke said, bugger the broken cheek, I'm playing. I have to win. So the French won't, they won't lose. They won't lose? They won't lose. They can't oh, you've lose. You've got them knocking the spring box out. Two reasons. They can't lose. I really like the way they play. There's a lot of momentum. And the second one, I just don't like South African rugby. So you've got <laughs> Wales, New Zealand. Did I get you to go Fiji? 
Yes, Fiji yes, well, and France in the yep. semi-finals. Which will be great because it will mean that we'll continue the Northern Southern Hemisphere battle into the semis. And it would be an absolutely horrendous sight if the four Northern Hemisphere teams win. Um, but I think with, with good... I think the only roughie there really is Fiji. That's more of a passion... That's a passion vote there. Um, but, yeah, France, France can't afford to lose. They're going to have that entire stadium absolutely belting out La Marseille. It is... If you get the opportunity... Don't, if you don't like rugby union, that's cool. Wake up and watch that national anthem mm. for France and then go back to bed. What, what time is that on, on, on Monday? Is that 6 a.m. Monday as well, I think? You know, we'll update that time after the break, but on behalf of Eddie Jones, Toby Dawson, thanks for bringing us some more rugby today. I invite you to stay with us because after the break, we're going to tap into Tim Barrow's racing knowledge, his extensive racing knowledge as we're all we in preview trouble. the Everest today. <laughs> Last year it was Giga Kick. Who will it be in 2023? A break, and then we're back to climb Everest. There's a new player in town. Wollongong City GWM Havel. Visit them for a test drive today. You're listening to Saturdays in the Gong on SEN Track. There's a new player in town. Wollongong City GWM Havel. Visit them for a test drive today. You're listening to Saturdays in the Gong on SEN Track. The latest trip given the cue by McDonald and the champ races to the lead by Lincoln Eduardo. Privatised running on, then came over past Shades of Rose, Giacchino and Giga Kick. Nature's trip a length in front, Private Eye, Giga Kick, Giga Kick down the outside, wins the Everest. The unbeaten three-year-old's done it. Ah, oh, great call. That was the 2022 Everest Giga Kick living up to its name. A big kick to win last year's race. What happens today in Peter Volandi's $20 million Everest? Matt Russell, Tim Barrow, Toby Dawson staying with us as we preview the big race at Randwick today. Firstly, Tim Barrow, I said Peter Volandi's $20 million Everest because he has poured his heart and soul into making this race what it is today to take on... Victorian, so you don't own every big horse race in Australia. Yeah. We're coming at you. Has he achieved his goal? Oh, more than achieved his goal. I mean, he's had to force the Victorians to reschedule their spring around this weekend. Uh, it's Caulfield Guineas week down there, but, you know, $20 million Everest. He's not only disrupted the spring carnival, he's now just making the biggest statements, and it's the biggest race in the world now. It's it's phenomenal. Um, it's a really competitive race today. I've gone with Private Eye, who was in that call there, just behind Giga Kick. I think a uh, better horse this year. Drawn handily enough, could be a little bit tricky, but if you're a once-a-year punter, I'd encourage you to go and have a look at the speed map. An overpass should go and lead. The question there is how comfortable a lead overpass will get. Cylinder should come and sit outside. In my opinion, probably a length or two off the winners. But there's plenty to like about Cylinder. It's a bit of a bulletproof type of horse, and it'll be there and thereabouts. And then you fall into, well, where, what, what do you like behind that? Think about it's the favourite. Should come in and sit in behind those horses. Alcohol-free will come across. There'll be a bit of a battle in behind that with uh, Shinzo Private Eye, Hawaii 5-0 coming across. Mazu and In Secret. Now, In Secret was my original Everest horse that I've been following for a while. Drawn really badly and probably just not peaking with the form right at the right moment. And then behind that, you got Buenos Noches, Espiona, and I Wish I Win Now. I Wish I Win, the the 
regular thought pattern here is that it's badly drawn. Now, just I've got to see how positive they're going to be with I Wish I Win today because if you can get a nice little run in, maybe a couple of pairs back and get that run into the straight, then it's game on. It can come over the top and win. But if it gets held up or gets too far back in running, then could be all sorts of trouble. So my four, I've gone with Private Eye on top. I'm going a Joe Pride Quinella. And we've got to give a rap to Joe Pride. Mm. So of the four trainers that have two horses in this race, Gay Waterhouse, James Cummings Godolphin and Chris Wallace Stables, all the big behemoths of Australian racing. And here's Joe Pride with 50 or 60 horses, you know, working with plenty of tried horses. And he's managed to train two Everest runners to the minute and not just train them to get in the race. They could genuinely run the Quinella today. So Private Eye and think about it right there. Uh, I wish I win if it gets all the favours. And my other horse, now Giga Kick won last year as a three-year-old. Shinzo, the slipper winner, comes into this race as a three-year-old, has beaten Cylinder, uh, had no luck first up, but if there's a knockout chance, I think Shinzo's a genuine hope. Chris Waller, stable with two runners, as you mentioned, the Waterhouse Bot stable with two, and Joe Pride with two. Private Eye, think it over. Could Joe Pride score an Everest Quinella? I don't want alcohol-free to win. I will feel that God's trying to give me a subliminal message if a 50-to-1 called alcohol-free gets over the line well, first. And the contrast to that is John Singleton's going to shout the bar if Hawaii <laughs> 5-0 wins for the Waterhouse stable today. So you could either be going completely alcohol-free or it could well and truly be on. Uh, the Everest is the feature, obviously. Also, the $2 million Kosciuszko for the country runners. You got a quick pick there, Baz? Uh, yeah, I've gone with Mogo Magic, unbeaten, $5.50 second pick. Uh, Opal Ridge will be every chance of winning. So, yeah, they're, they're the two favourites. I've sided with Mogo Magic, but not surprised either way. Have to give a shout-out to Think It Over. Great Kerry Parker horse running in the King Charles today. Uh, trolled badly the other day after a hot and sweaty trip up to Sydney. But Kerry Parker's adamant that Think It Over is ready to go. So after winning the seven stakes, might be a big payday for Kerry Parker again today. Is Think It Over the only Kembla runner engaged today, Baz? Or are there a couple up there uh, having a go? Well, he's also got hope in your heart in that race as well. Um, drawn badly and a bit of an outside sort of chance. But just a fantastic, honest horse and uh, might run a great race you as well. You know what I love? about today you got the Everest the, the 20 million dollar feature but Peter Volandi's found a way to say to the country qualifiers we're going to have a race for you we're going to put two million on the line it's not just about the slick Sydney trainers the big name horses you get to share our day and that's why the Kosciuszko I just love that it's on this this race card today yeah, and that prize money is invaluable to country mm, trainers. Yeah. I mean, the highways and the midways are fantastic as well because it gets the opportunity for trainers to come to Sydney. But the money that's flowing through the industry to make uh, country trainers successful and viable is is fantastic because it, it can't just be about the big guns. 100%. And, you know, Landy's go and teach Australian rugby something. Because what he's doing is he's committing to what's happening provincially. Yes. Now, we've got the gong coming up on the 25th of November out at Kembla Grange. Make sure you come there. But to put prize money on the track at, you know, courses like Kembla Grange. Then you've got the Hunter up in Newcastle. He cares. He's committed. But there's a huge pipeline and a lot of money on the line to make sure that there's viability for these country and provincial trainers, and it's massive. The voice of Toby Dawson, also an Illawarra Turf Club director. You wear many caps. Rugby correspondent... Illawarra Turf Club Director, great to have you here. We're going to take a quick break for the news. On the other side, Justin Edwards joins us. We go from World Cup rugby to World Cup cricket right after this.
Making news this hour, polls are open in all areas across the country except Western Australia as Australians vote in a referendum for the first time this century. Meantime, New Zealanders head to the polls today for a federal election. Israel says its troops have carried out raids across the Gaza Strip in the last 24 hours and the independent review into the culture and treatment of Australian female swimmers has been leaked nearly two years after it was delivered, saying some were physically and mentally abused. SEN.com.au Sport is next and a gallant performance from the Socceroos at Wembley Stadium. There's a new player in town. Wollongong City GWM Havel. Visit them for a test drive today. You're listening to Saturdays in the Gong on SEN Track. You've been training all the winter and there's not a team that's fitter and that's the way it's got to be because you're up against the best you know this is super test, you know, and you've got to beat the best the world has seen. Lily's pounding down like a machine. Pascal's making divots in the green. Marsh is taking wickets. Brooks is clearing pickets. And the chapel's eyes have got that killer gleam. Mr. Walker's playing havoc with the bats. Red path, it's good to see you back. Aussie come on, especially the modern day Aussies uh, competing in India at the Cricket World Cup. There are some great memories of one day cricket conjured by that song, World Series cricket to be specific. Sadly, the very recent memories of World Cup cricket aren't so good. Now, this man does a great job covering all sports on Fox Sports News. You'll see and hear a lot more of this bloke in coming years. Uh, He forms the entirety of the Fox Sports News Cricket Department, a one-man band. Justin Edwards, good morning to you. Come on, Aussie, come on indeed. What's happening over there? Yeah, good morning, Matty. A really poor start for the Australian team at the World Cup in India. I have to say, the first loss against India, I wasn't too surprised by. I feel like I already knew that India are the best team in those conditions. They've got all the best players, and, you know, Australia were unlikely to be too competitive against them. But that second game against South Africa, that was surprising to me. Not so much that Australia lost, but the manner of defeat. Such a heavy, heavy defeat. And that goes two losses to start the World Cup. Such a poor start for them. The good thing, though, for them is that a nine-game group stage, there is time to turn it around. Yeah, well, that's a very good point, uh, Justin. You're also with Tim Barrow and Toby Dawson, part of the Saturdays in the Gong team. And, Baz, you were having a look at Australia's current standings and, well, quite bluntly, they're dismal. Where do we rank currently? It's pretty dire. Australia sitting ninth with a net run rate of minus 1.846 above Afghanistan. But below the Netherlands, the cricket might of the Netherlands. Perch between those two cricket powerhouses, Netherlands, Afghanistan. There is one uh, upside that we do play the Sri Lankans next on Monday, which uh, they're also winless. So maybe that's where the light at the end of the tunnel starts to shine. And Justin, you mentioned it. I I love the format this year. 
uh, 10 teams. You play every team once, then quite simply semi-finals for the top four and finals. So, uh, yeah, how concerned should Australian cricket fans be, given that, as you mentioned, there is time to, to win enough games to make the, the semi-finals, isn't there? Yes, and this long group stage, nine games, you actually you don't want to be playing well at the start. You don't want to be playing quite as badly as Australia are. You don't want to be peaking too early. And I looked at Australia's draw at the start of the tournament, and I thought their first four games, it's a tough draw, their first four. You want to be two and two. Get two wins, two losses. They've had their two losses. The next two, Sri Lanka on Monday, and then Pakistan on Friday. They are must-win for Australia. They square the ledger, get it back to two and two, and then five games to come. Three of those are against the, the minnows, if you like. Afghanistan, Bangladesh, Netherlands should tick those three off and then win one of the other two, England and New Zealand. That gets them to six wins. Six wins should be enough to make the semi-finals. <clears throat> Jumping in here, still with a level of pain from the Wallabies World Cup campaign. Like, why, why have we lost these in the fashion that we have? And what's the level of nervousness that we're, we're going to have a repeat in the cricket that we've just seen in the rugby union? Yeah, the, the good thing is that in off-field and everything else that matters, Australian cricket is a much better space than Australian rugby. But there are concerns over Australia's performance in this format. They're a team that, that they, they've played two games of the World Cup and they look tired. Right? Their fielding against South Africa was, was dismal, as bad as I've ever seen from an Australian cricket team. And, and they've, in this format, you know, the, there's questions over global cricket about what this format looks like for Australia or for, and for everyone in the world. Where, where, who's the great 50-over format player in Australia's team? You know, Australia's team is a collection of test players like Smith, Labuschagne, Stark, Cummins, Hazelwood and a, and a collection of T20 specialists like Glenn Maxwell, Adam Zampa, Marcus Stoinis. But there's no one there that you, that you would say bosses the 50-over format like a Rohit Sharma or a Virat Kohli for India. And, and I guess Australia are not alone in this. Almost every team in the world except for India have not particularly invested in this format in the four years leading up. You know, our 50-over series, our bilateral series, when we go on one-day tours, that's our opportunity for our best players to have a rest because the schedule is so packed. They don't play these bilateral 50-over series. And when we come to a World Cup, you can tell it takes them a little while to get going. We're unsure of what our best mix is. No one's quite sure of what their role is. So they'll have to turn it around pretty quickly against Sri Lanka on Monday night. Talk about the mix and, and the role. I wanted to raise the role of uh, Warilla's own Adam Zampa. He sort of came in as the one key spinner. Uh, Glenn Maxwell's obviously had some success with two for 34 against South Africa, but they've taken to Zampa a bit. Um, you know, we talked about the test level where Australia have struggled on those spin-friendly pitches. How do Australia get the mix right with the squad they've got now? And where do you see Zampa's role as that um, that spin spearhead when he struggled a little bit in the early games? Yeah, so Zampa is sore. I think that's important to point out. He's had neck and shoulder injuries in the in the couple of months in the lead up to the World Cup, and he's bowling like he's sore. He's He's probably as out of form as he's been since coming into the Australian White Force setup. But in terms of the options, like Canvey Sanger is in the squad, but I can't see them. I, I can only see him playing if they play two spinners, two frontline spinners, which means he would be leaving out one of Stark, Hazelwood, or Cummins. 
Cummins is the captain, so he's probably not going to be left out. Stark, obviously, you're not leaving out. He's one of the best white ball bowlers in the world. And Josh Hazelwood's actually the number one ranked ODI bowler in the world, so I can't see leaving him out. So the mix to get another spinner in in Sanger is not quite there, I don't think. If Agar was fit and in the squad, then that gives you another option. That finger spinner who is so effective in India, especially a left armour, you think of Ravi Jadeja, and Ashton Agar also very useful with the bat, and one of the fixtures of Australia's white ball set up for the last four years. So his injury, I think, was a really big blow for Australia. But the mix, it, it's hard to get another spinner in there. And, and if you wanted to change up the quicks, I mean, Sean Abbott is the reserve quick in the squad, and he's, and he's much the same. 135-ish kilometres an hour, right arm, medium, couple of change-ups. Does add a little bit with the bat, Sean Abbott, but there's not a lot of change in the Australian squad. Travis Head is the one that they're really waiting on. He had his scans last week, going to be flown over soon. And he, despite not being in Australia's 50-over team about 12 months ago, he's suddenly the most important player. Opening the batting with Warner, that drops Marsh down to three, and it means you don't have Smith and Labuschagne in the same team, two of a, quite a similar player. So the mix, they're, they're waiting on his head to come back and hopefully be the saviour and, and fix some of their batting ways. Well, pressure will literally build on Australia if we can't knock off the Sri Lankans on Monday. Overnight, New Zealand did it easily, as expected by many, against Bangladesh. Big game tonight. India, Pakistan. There'll be some people in the venue, you imagine, for that one, cheering for India to beat Pakistan. And, Justin, before we let you go, um, there's a review being uh, scheduled to have a look at the the, the slot of one-day international cricket in the Australian sporting landscape and, and how it's going to work going forward. What do you expect this inquiry to reveal well it's not just australia that's looking at what 50 over cricket looks like in the future it's it's global cricket mark nicholas the mcc chairman a few weeks ago said that it's the mcc's position that they only want to see 50 over cricket at world cups they don't want bilateral series of 50 over cricket anymore and the, the way the countries have treated 50 over cricket in the last four years you'd say that's probably not far away you know, the, the influence of these T20 franchises is growing, is, is only getting bigger. It's not going to get smaller. We want to preserve test cricket as much as we can, especially here in Australia, because test cricket is far and away the most popular format in Australia, which is not the case in other parts of the world. But what is the case in almost every part of the world is that 50 over cricket is the least popular. And with the schedule getting packed and packed, more, more packed and packed, where is the space for 50 over cricket? It's not long ago. It's only probably 15 years ago where in January, our, our school holidays time, the 50 over matches that Australia were playing was the marquee. You know, these were big crowds, big TV ratings, and that's been replaced by the Big Bash already. You know, we had a one-day series against England last summer which was played in front of a 90% empty MCG. So it's not just Australia looking at what 50 over cricket looks like in the future. It's world cricket. Does it have a place? Does, I think the one-day World Cup will continue to have a place for the next few years. But what does the bilateral series look like? And then are you going into World Cups with teams having not played this format for four years? Look, I wouldn't make any predictions about what cricket, the, the shape of global cricket, is going to look like in 10 or 15 years because these T20 franchises are getting bigger, bigger, stronger, more powerful, and we'll have to, have to wait and see where it, where it goes.
Well, Justin Edwards, thank you for your take this morning. We'll see your great work on, on Fox Sports News, on the Foxtel platform. And so good have you been this morning. I'm going to anoint you as the Saturdays in the Gong cricket expert and we'll hopefully talk to you each week during the Cricket World Cup and, and chart Australia's comeback towards, hopefully, the final and World Cup glory. Good on you, mate. We'll talk soon. Thanks very much, Matt. Thanks, Tim. Justin Edwards there bringing us all the details of the Cricket World Cup. A break, and then we're back to look at Rugby League and the new New South Wales origin coach. There's a new player in town. Wollongong City GWM Havel. Visit them for a test drive today. You're listening to Saturdays in the Gong on SEN Track. There's a new player in town. Wollongong City GWM Havel. Visit them for a test drive today. You're listening to Saturdays in the Gong on SEN Track. into more Rugby League chat. Jim Barrow, your Canterbury Bulldogs are never far from the headlines. Thanks to Josh Adokar most recently. Apparently that's all been sorted. What do you make of the Fox? Yeah, I'd like them to be in the headlines for winning more games occasionally. That'd be, uh, be handy. Look, it's obviously not been a great uh, off-season for Josh Adokar after being caught in a brawl and then making a fairly unfortunate political statement in his uh, social media. Uh, hopefully the meeting this week has uh, settled everything down a bit and he can get on with the, uh, the mission of scoring tries for the Bulldogs next year. Partly, I think the uh, Bulldogs should just give him the ball a bit more and he'd have less spare time on his hands. He could actually be doing uh, what he's paid for. So, yeah, it's uh, it's an unfortunate summer and uh, hopefully it's the start of a successful couple of years for him. I'm looking forward to the Super League Grand Final uh, with, with Mitch Pearce hoping to go out in style. Yeah, hope he does. Decorated career uh, yeah. with, with Catalan Dragons. Uh, but also big rugby league news this week is you listen to Matt Russell, Tim Barrow, Toby Dawson. Toby, I'll come to you. Do you like the appointment of uh, Madge Maguire? Michael? Michael Maguire, New South Wales origin coach. I think it was time for a change. Freddie did a great job. He got some results, but I think that their format, their philosophy, the time was getting a bit tired. You know, Billy Slater's come in during that time. Great results for Queensland. New South Wales needed a change. And I think Madge will do a great job, you know. Great coach, great at getting the best out of people. And with the format of origin, I think that uh, what he'll bring to the team will work really well. Of all the names I heard mentioned, uh, and they mounted reasonable cases, many of them. I just thought that Michael Maguire was the best uh, best prospect I heard, and there he is in the job. I like it, Tim. I agree. It's just interesting that it's a one-year deal, and with Craig Bellamy coming to the end of his time, likely at the Melbourne Storm, Billy Slater's committed to Queensland, so you're thinking, well, Jason Rolls will take the job at Melbourne. Does that mean Craig Bellamy is then parachuted into the New South Wales job next year? But it does put Madge back in the, uh, the shop window in terms of NRL clubs back in Sydney. Okay, well, we'll see what happens with the Blues under Michael Maguire. Do they bounce back and take down Billy Slater's Maroons next year? Another break, then we're back to wrap up Saturdays in the Gong. There's a new player in town. Wollongong City GWM Havel. Visit them for a test drive today. You're listening to Saturdays in the Gong on SEN Track. There's a new player in town. Wollongong City GWM Havel. Visit them for a test drive today. You're listening to Saturdays in the Gong on SEN Track. Ah, as the 
sound effects tell you time for making the Mercury. You're listening to Matt Russell, Toby Dawson, and the Mercury Sports Editor, Tim Barrow. Baz, what have you got for us coming regards making the Mercury. Yeah, well, aside from the extraordinary revelation of Alex Volkanovsky coming <laughs> yeah. back to fight for the title off 12 days' notice, there's a really good story with Emma Tonegado today, uh, just coming into the Dularoos in a utility role as number 14. Obviously, was the star fullback, former rugby player, um, switched to 5'8 with the Sharks there, but still got the opportunity at 28 to really go and make that impact in that utility role for the Dularoos. Are they taking on uh, New Zealand? I haven't got the time the in front of me. Jillaroos, Kiwi Fern, 6 o'clock. Six I'm calling o'clock. that for Fox League. Followed straight away, Kangaroos, Samoa. Tomorrow, Samoa v Fiji and the Kummels against the Cook Islands. Toby Dawson, Jack DeBellin, one of the world-famous Papua New Guineans. <laughs> yes, I love it. So you've got Holbrook stepping into the coach for the Kummels for the first so time. So George Illawarra Link. Yeah, and he's brought Jack DeBellin in. Because Jack DeBellin's grandmother was born <laughs> in Papua New Guinea. No Papua... <laughs> and this is, you know, to paraphrase Jack's quote, no Papua New Guinean heritage, no bloodline, just born in the spot, so I'm going to give it a run. I'm seeing a day where players say, I once flew near Papua New Guinea in airspace, I'd like to play for the Cobbles. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much uh, got it, Matty. Plenty of international rugby league coming your way on Fox League over the next month. Toby Dawson, great to chat. We look forward to these World Cup rugby quarterfinals. Tim Barrow, you'll be glued to the racing coverage this afternoon as the Everest unfolds again. Go Private Eye. Go Private Eye, the exclusive tip. Thanks for your company on Saturdays in the Gong. A glorious day. Enjoy your Saturday, and we'll see you back here next weekend. Saturdays in the Gong, over and out.